You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. An appeal for information coming tonight from family and friends of one of the B.C. police officers being held in Cuba over sexual assault allegations. They say the evidence does not support the alleged crime and believe someone has the key to end their nightmare. Romina Dea reports. Did he sexually assault this girl? No, there's no, no doubt in my mind that they are both innocent innocent because there's no evidence the officers committed a crime, says Rebecca Sims, the sister of one of the accused. Is your brother scared? Oh yeah, of course. The fear of the unknown, I think, is something we can all relate to. It's been seven months since VPD Constable Mark Sims and his friend Port Moody Constable Jordan Long had their passports seized in Varadero, Cuba. The officers were on vacation in the popular tourist town in March when a 17-year-old girl from Ontario contacted Cuban police alleging she was sexually assaulted. Why would a 17-year-old girl make this up? What would be the motivation? I think that's a very important question and a really relevant and disturbing one as well. And I think someone needs to ask her that. Reverend Blake Field, minister to the Sims family, has been to Cuba twice to assist the officers in translating documents. Field, who is fluent in Spanish, is gravely concerned because he says the men were forced to sign statements they couldn't read. And court documents make no mention of evidence, video, witnesses or physical to support the allegations. There is no physical evidence based on uh, an examination that there was any force or violence or that anything unconsensual took place. Global News has been in touch with officials from Havana. We're working on obtaining court documents from Cuba so we can independently verify the details in this case. It's unclear if charges have been laid. The officers were jailed for a week in March and then released, but they are prohibited from leaving the country. Sim's sister is hoping someone comes forward. We believe that there's somebody out there who knows the truth. There were other travel companions with her on this trip, and we are sure that someone knows the truth and it is weighing very heavily on somebody's conscience. It's time to do the right thing. We have two innocent lives on the line here. Romina Dea, Global News. Protesters gathering outside Vancouver Provincial Court today for the second appearance of the man accused in Marissa Shen's death. The crowd demanding justice and tougher immigration vetting in Canada. 28-year-old Ibrahim Ali, a Syrian refugee, is charged with first-degree murder in the July 2017 death of 13-year-old Marissa Shen. Shen's family is asking the B.C. government to fund a Mandarin interpreter so that her mother can understand the proceedings. It's hard for the, on the family. And the, father, the brother and the, the sister are very close. They were very close. It's very difficult for the family. If there's a choice, um, we would never want to see this happen to other people and other family. 
Ali's appearance was put over until November 23rd. His new defense lawyer says she's still awaiting disclosure on 10,000 pages of information in the case. The issue of gang violence in Surrey is increasingly becoming a hot topic of the civic election. Yesterday afternoon, 30-year-old Sumit Randawa was gunned down in the driveway of his Surrey home. Police say he was known to them and believe his murder to be targeted. With just over a week to go until voters head to the polls, many want to know what the mayoral candidates would do about the ongoing violence if elected. Our communities feel so unsafe with all the gang violence and the murders that are happening. We're going to um, bring in our own um, Surrey police force. These kind of things have to stop. I think that uh, we need to be very bold. Is it time for us to change the RCMP or not? That's a question that the community needs to answer. The RCMP has more than 200 municipal contracts across Canada with 60 in B.C. There are serious allegations tonight of election tampering in multiple cities ahead of voting day. Surrey, Richmond, Vancouver and Burnaby all investigating claims of either vote buying or fraudulent ballot applications. Jill Bennett has the details on how this could affect voter turnout. Jill. Surrey RCMP have confirmed 67 cases of vote-by-mail applications that have been found to be fraudulent, meaning the voter. The name on the application is not the same person who either filled it out or signed it. Now, they've taken the rare step of releasing this information while the investigation is ongoing, saying they want people to know where things stand. We have... Uh, identified and interviewed two persons of interest, but we're going to still need to do a little bit more investigation before a determination is made whether or not charges are warranted. There are also allegations of attempted vote buying in Richmond, Burnaby and Vancouver. Now these allegations stem from messages on the social media app WeChat. It appears there were messages sent by the group, the Canada Wenzhou Friendship Society. It also appears there may have been messages that were offering money for people to vote. If you believe you may have been approached or manipulated in some way in regards to the upcoming election and this voting process, to please contact our office immediately. With just days until the election and many advance polls already open, there are now concerns that all of these police investigations actually might be a deterrent for voters. It can feed into voter cynicism or the perception that elections are not free and fair. And that would be very unfortunate because in Canada we do have a history of free and fair elections, minimal fraud or irregularities. The allegations that we're hearing about uh, today uh, are worrisome because they do suggest uh, organized efforts, even if they are small scale, but organized efforts to actually buy and sell votes. Paying for votes is illegal, so is offering a financial reward for going out and voting for a candidate. If found guilty of that offense, somebody could be fined up to $10,000 or be given a jail term. As for the police investigations, they are all continuing. They'll likely still be active come voting day. Back to you. All right, Jill, thank you. A scary situation on the Trans-Canada Highway near Revelstoke. Dashcam video from a charter bus captures the terrifying moment as it unfolds. Watch as oncoming lights get closer and the bus driver realizes a commercial truck is heading straight for him. RCMP crediting the defensive actions of the bus driver for narrowly missing a head-on collision, likely saving many lives. 
Amazingly, there were only a few minor injuries. The driver of the commercial tractor trailer was issued a ticket. RCMP are reminding drivers to slow down. A 21-year-old woman is now facing charges in connection with a crash that seriously injured an 11-year-old girl. It happened in Saanich last December. The victim, Layla Buey, was in a marked crosswalk when she was struck by an SUV. Her family says she's now back at home but still has a long way to go in her recovery. Tanessa Nykirk from North Saanich is now charged with one count of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily harm. She's due in court next month. Two teens have been arrested in connection with a tire slashing spree. RCMP say the suspects are just 14 and 15 years old. Surveillance video capturing the vandals in the act going from vehicle to vehicle early Monday morning near the Burnaby New Westminster boundary. More than 100 vehicles were damaged. The teens, both boys, are expected to face multiple counts of mischief. Questions tonight whether the legalization of marijuana next week could eventually result in higher costs to hydro customers. There are concerns about a spike in demand for power, but Kylie Stanton explains why neither BC Hydro nor licensed producers think it will be a problem. The countdown is on until a setup like this is legal in Canada. This is a 315 watt light, which is perfect for this size of a tent to operate with four plants. Under the new laws, that's the maximum number of cannabis plants adults can grow in their home. But the process can be incredibly energy intensive. And now BC Hydro is studying what that could mean for the system. We are following what's happened in other jurisdictions that have legalized cannabis. And based on that, we are expecting to see an increasing demand on our system uh, from licensed cannabis growers. In 2017, legal cannabis production accounted for roughly 1,000 gigawatt hours of electricity. That's equivalent to running 100,000 households for an entire year. With an already increased interest from growers looking to set up shop here in B.C., that's only expected to climb. B.C. Hydro says it's ready. We are fortunate in B.C. to have a large hydroelectric system. This allows us to respond quickly to changes in demand, and we do have the extra power needed to, to meet the growing needs of this new industry. But there are producers already making an effort to minimize the impact. Tantalus Labs is using legalization as an opportunity to reform the standard of indoor growing, taking it outdoors instead. Ultimately, the best light source in terms of cannabis plant health and certainly in terms of reducing energy cost is sunlight. And I think one of the best tools that we can use to do that is the use of greenhouses as a cultivation mechanism. Our greenhouse uses about 90% less electricity than a traditional indoor cannabis grow up. As for those planning to grow at home, technology is on their side. Most of the new lighting is much more efficient in operating and lower heat and operates at a lower wattage. There's no doubt adding this to the household will add to the hydro bill. But the more efficient the light, the less the cost will be. I mean, if you have a child that leaves their lights on, you know, it's going to be not much different than that. BC Hydro will be releasing its full report on October 22nd. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A mudslide is impacting Highway 29, uh, 29N between Chetwin and Hudson's Hope. The slide coming down near the community of Moberly Lake, covering the highway with debris. No homes have been directly affected. While crews are on scene assessing the situation and cleaning up the mess, the highway is open to single-lane alternating traffic. 
Well, last night we showed you the mess a landlord in Coquitlam was left with after evicting problem tenants. Tonight, the unbelievable destruction done to a property in Vernon. As Claudia Van Emmerich reports, the owner is facing a costly cleanup bill. And the damage, well, you have to see to believe. There's hardly a thing that wasn't busted. His Vernon rental property trashed beyond belief. There's graffiti in a number of the rooms. Walls have been knocked down. He's uh, busted out the wall here from the kitchen and into the garage. And bathrooms dismantled. Sink is just that filthy and dirty in here. Like, it's a pigsty. Bowles lives in Chilliwack and rented his North Okanagan house to a couple two years ago, a recovering drug addict who he says had good references and her boyfriend. I felt sorry for her situation. But over time, Bowles started hearing from neighbours that a lot more people lived there than just the two tenants. They had a whole bunch of subletters in the house. While Bowles doesn't know the exact number, a contractor doing some repairs reported seeing numerous people there. And he said there's a lineup of people living in this house that are ready to use the showers. The downstairs tenant confirms there were multiple people living on the main floor, space that she says was also being used for drug activity. I'd always hear fighting, things being broken, lots of banging. After a lengthy arbitration process, the tenants have moved out, but the damage they left behind will have lasting consequences. He busted everything, anything that could be used. Bull says repair costs have been pegged at around $150,000. While some of it will be covered by insurance, he will be out of pocket for thousands of dollars. This was my retirement. I'm not going to be able to, re to retire. He'll also be a lot more careful when choosing renters the next time around. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Vernon. Right now, though, the man who was at the center of one of the most sensational crime stories in B.C. history is breaking his silence in tonight's edition of Dateline NBC. It focuses on Jerry Ambrosik, who ditched a plane in a Montana lake in 1982, left his girlfriend there to die, and then disappeared for 24 years. Aaron MacArthur reports. For more than three decades, Jerry Ambrosik has been silent. Why did he ditch his rented plane in a Montana lake? Why was his girlfriend, Diane Babcock, still strapped into her seat? And why did he walk away inventing a whole new life? Questions finally might have answers tonight. Ambrosak talking to Keith Morrison in Dateline NBC. Just two innocent kids in high school fell in love and did something unthinkable, something foolish, and we ended up eloping. Made a crazy plan, planned it for months. The story Ambrosic spins is incredible. After the teenagers ditched the plane and Babcock didn't get out, he went on the lam. Took off and spent the next 24 years in Texas trying to recover and slowly get back to becoming a productive citizen. But that's not half the story. Ambrosic was arrested in Texas in 2006, living in an upscale Dallas suburb under an assumed name with a $71,000 Dodge Viper in his garage. The lead investigator on the file from the 1980s, Ron Peterson, still thinks there's more information that needs to come forward, and he still thinks there are questions that are left unanswered. Margot Harper was a reporter at the Vancouver Sun in 1982. She was there when Diane's body was pulled from Little Bitterroot Lake. It's a story she hasn't forgotten. 
when they pulled the plane out of the water um, and took it apart, there was a life raft in it, uh, wigs and disguises and survival gear. It's a case that the more you look at it, uh, the more questions you have. Diane Babcock's family has never spoken about the incident, except at Jerry Ambrosik's trial. And he's just going to walk out of this courtroom with probation. And were never satisfied with his plea deal, which saw him spend just nine months in jail. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. RCMP disclosing details today about this crash in Richmond. The close call happened in the parking lot of the Yaohan Center off Number 3 Road. Watch the white SUV at the top left of your screen. It takes a U-turn and then this. Police say the driver of the Acura SUV was an 80-year-old Richmond woman. The driver of the Audi SUV it hit is a 44-year-old woman from Richmond. No injuries were reported, but both vehicles sustained uh, substantial damage. Driver error is believed to be the primary factor in this collision. Police have ruled out alcohol and drugs as causal factors. And a violation ticket was eventually issued to the driver of the Acura SUV. Well, tonight's focus on the upcoming municipal election deals in part with a local issue that has big implications for all of Metro Vancouver. As Catherine Urquhart reports, one of the biggest issues in Delta affects thousands of drivers right across the region. About 80,000 motorists drive through the George Massey Tunnel every day. And anyone who's made the trip during rush hour knows only too well that transportation is a major issue in Delta. Definitely uh, transportation here in Tawasin. We need a little bit more um, when it comes to bus routes, times. We need a lot more, I think. With the proposed Massey Tunnel replacement project shelved, people here are desperate for a solution. So is Delta's Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, urgently need a solution to the congestion at the George Massey Tunnel. Um, congestion is impacting uh, the flow of uh, goods and people, which is uh, adversely affecting not only uh, Delta businesses, uh, large and small, but also the entire uh, economy of the region. Poor transportation also impacting businesses, which are struggling to attract staff. We've had months where we've, we've had a hard time finding quality employees and, and then we're doing double shifts just to keep up and it does definitely affect our business because we can only produce so much and uh, it, it becomes a problem. Other concerns for Delta voters? Lack of affordable housing and preservation of farmland. That's kind of why we moved out here is that we loved all the farmland around us. I think for us those are our main ones. Also a factor in this race, Delta's longtime mayor is stepping aside, instead running for council. This is an election where Lois Jackson stepping down after 20 years as mayor and her handpicked successor, George Harvey, is seeking to replace her. And so is it do people want change or do they want to affirm the direction that's been there for a long time? With a change of leadership coming and some critical issues, this race sure to be interesting. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Delta. And if you'd like to know what Delta's mayoral candidates say about the issues, you can go to our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. All right, right off the top, we want to tell you this truck driver was not injured. Hard to believe when you see the video released by a California transportation agency. 
as a warning to other drivers. No. The transportation agency saying drivers have been ignoring signs that say this road is closed to vehicles over 39 feet long. Well, there are reports tonight that the Turkish government has audio and video proof that journalist Jamal Khashoggi was tortured and killed inside the Saudi Arabian embassy in Istanbul. We get the latest from Richard Engel. Turkish officials say when journalist Jamal Khashoggi walked into the Saudi consulate here, he was walking right into a deadly trap. U.S. and Turkish officials tell NBC News the Turks have recordings proving Khashoggi was killed inside. According to the Washington Post, also citing U.S. and Turkish officials, on the recordings you can hear Khashoggi was detained when he entered, killed and dismembered. One official saying you can hear how he was interrogated, tortured and murdered. And now a pro-government Turkish newspaper says Khashoggi secretly recorded the events on his Apple Watch. Saudi officials insist they know nothing about Khashoggi's disappearance, but Turkish authorities remain unconvinced, to say the least. They also find it highly suspect that the security cameras here at the consulate weren't recording at the time. Khashoggi, a columnist for the Washington Post, had criticized Saudi Arabia's de facto ruler, the Saudi crown prince. It strikes me at a minimum, if the Saudis are behind this, as a terribly miscalculated move, both diplomatically and politically, but as well operationally. Tonight, Saudi Arabia says it will cooperate with Turkey on an investigation. Richard Engel, NBC News, Istanbul. A royal wedding today that wasn't quite on the scale of Harry and Meghan or William and Kate, but it still brought out the crowds. <laughs> Eugenie, daughter of Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, married tequila executive Jack Brooksbank. The 800 guests battling 100 kilometer an hour wind gusts that blew off fascinators and swept page boys and flower girls off their feet. It was the first time the royal family has been together since Harry and Meghan's wedding. The thousands of well-wishers lined the streets of Windsor for the couple's carriage ride after the ceremony. And then a little later, the newlyweds having a seemed like a good idea at the time moment. They decided to drive to their reception in a sporty Aston Martin DB10. And while it is a beautiful car, it's clearly not wedding dress friendly. The groom and Eugenie's sister Beatrice having quite a time getting the bride into the car. All three having a laugh at the tight fit. And finally, social media buzzing about two things from the wedding. Many people applauding the fact that Eugenie chose a dress that proudly displayed her scar from her scoliosis surgery at age 12. And on the lighter side, more than a few people comparing her mother's hat to a Quidditch snitch from Harry Potter. In Health Matters tonight, a new study says medical marijuana is safe, but only slightly effective in treating multiple sclerosis. American researchers found MS patients who used medical marijuana have limited improvements in pain relief, muscle spasms, and bladder dysfunction. The good news, the treatment doesn't cause any significant side effects or withdrawal symptoms for most patients. A news hour follow-up tonight to our story about accusations that jet boats are threatening spawning salmon in the Pitt River. Amid growing calls to stop the boats, Global's Linda Aylesworth asked the federal fisheries minister why Ottawa isn't responding. 
Danny Garrick is angry. For years, he's witnessed and complained about the destruction of critical salmon spawning habitat near his fishing lodge in the Upper Pitt River, but to no avail. I couldn't believe how much the jet boats kill the eggs in the gravel. Yeah. At last, people are starting to listen. Now, the fish don't have a lot of energy to play with. You know, anything that knocks them off their game is not going to be good for them at all. Dr. John Reynolds, an aquatic yeah. conservation professor at Simon Fraser University, says these powerful jet boats do more than cause mayhem for the exhausted spawning fish. The other problem with jet boats is uh, they can very easily stir up the nests and actually dislodge the eggs from the gravel. Once they're out of the gravel, they're dead. And the trouble doesn't end there, because jet boat wakes can blast juvenile salmon out of the water and onto the shore. They're killing thousands and thousands of eggs and fry, which is thousands of salmon that would be out there to feed the orcas for the commercial fishermen and everything else out there. And it's, it's needless. At a recent event promoting the Year of the Salmon, the federal fisheries minister had what seemed like encouraging news. We are presently amending the Fisheries Act and are working to ensure the protection of fish habitat, especially salmon spawning streams. But when asked what specifically he was doing about the jet boat situation, he said there are many issues around critical habitat to be dealt with prioritizing those that are going to have the greatest impact and we're going to come forward with plans to address those that are the most significant in terms of the impact on wild salmon populations. But that's not good enough for any number of conservation organizations, including the Pacific Salmon Foundation. So it's certainly not something that should be allowed on the spawning grounds. Yeah, they could certainly have people there that would put them off that area. Just walking on this gravel, which covers and protects the eggs of up to five species of salmon, is illegal. And yet this continues. I can't believe that such a simple thing to stop would still be allowed to happen. We need to ban these jet boats from these spawning grounds. There's other access up here along this road system. They do not have to come up here and wipe out the spawning grounds with their boats. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, a lot of people have done this, but not many have turned out this badly. The story right after the forecast. And on this Friday evening, meteorologist Christy Gordon is down at Stanley Park where the ghost train is busy scaring people. That's right, ghosts and goblins down here. This is the 19th annual uh, Stanley Park Ghost Train. So for your great tradition here in Vancouver and behind me here, some incredible uh, performances going on by a company called Motor Coil. And they'll be uh, doing some juggling acts in a little bit as well. We hope to be able to show you that. First though, let's talk about weather. It has been sensational out lately. And I wanted to show you some photos. Uh, we had one from a lot of photos of this beautiful sunset last night. Thanks to uh, Mikul for that one. Look at that. S just bright red clouds as the sun was setting. And then this morning was spectacular as well. From Port Coquitlam, you can see the fog down below and the sun rising above. So this was the sunrise this morning. Unbelievable. And you can expect some sunrises and sunsets like that to come right through until next weekend. This ridge of high pressure is going to hold a ton of great weather on the way. It is going to be chilly at night though. And we do have still a chance of 
showers across the northern regions. That's going to push out and really all areas are expecting sunshine tomorrow and we'll see that right through the weekend. Temperatures at night though, wind chills down to about minus six across the north, but nice mid-teens across the south in the afternoon and we'll see that here in the south coast. Up to 18 potentially away from the water. Really, really nice conditions for, I can't believe that's an October forecast. I would like to introduce you now to Shauna Wilton. Uh, she's from the Parks Board. Thanks for having us here tonight. What a great week for weather-wise for the ghost train. We're very thrilled with the forecast. Yes, great timing. Tell us everyone what they can expect here uh, this time round for the ghost train. So this year's theme for the ghost train is the jack-o'-lantern's journey through the dark forest. So that's what the train will take everyone through. The stage behind me will actually tell the story before everybody gets on the train. So make sure that you see it before you go on to the train. Is it scary? What age group would you say? It's recommended for kids six and over, so it's up to parents to use their discretion for the evening show, but we do also have an afternoon matinee that runs till five o'clock every day that does not have the live performances, so it may be better for younger children. And mazes and arts and crafts. We have it all. We have a haunted maze for grown-ups. We have a toddler maze. We have face painting, um, storytelling with VPL, all kinds of concessions for food, treats, and something for everybody. And where can everyone get the information? Ghosttrain.ca has all of the event information and ticket purchase as well. You can actually buy tickets online for the time that works best for your family, or you can also purchase them on site day of. Perfect. And parking is free. And Sophia, it really is a great time, especially with the weather like this. So we do hope that people can come down. Thanks so much, Shauna. Thank you. Back to you, Sophia. Thanks, Christy. Well, any gas station attendant will tell you it's not an unusual mistake, but it doesn't often become a near disaster. A motorist drives away from a New Jersey gas pump with the nozzle still in the car. But instead of just pulling out the hose, it pulls over the entire pump, which then predictably explodes into flames. Thankfully, a quick-thinking employee grabs a fire extinguisher, puts it out, and no one was hurt. So Jake Furtanen was trending. Shotgun Jake. I'll explain. Maybe not how you'd expect. Mm, Yeah, well. Last night, the Canucks did something they uh, only did three times last year. Win a game despite trailing after two periods. They scored four in the third to beat Tampa Bay, and they are averaging four goals a game this year, but... Two last night were in the empty net, and one of those empty net goals was by Jake Furtanen. And thanks to the Halford and Bruff show on TSN 1040, people are shotgunning beers when Jake scores. If he gets a hat trick, a lot of people will be missing work the next day. Mm -hmm. But that aside, the biggest thing last night is Furtanen was trusted by Travis Green to be out there when the score was still only 2-1. to And he made this nice little play, intercepting a pass to the blue line, and away he goes, and shotgun time. I don't think he'll ever be considered a top six forward, but if he plays physical with his speed and size, he can be one of those checkers who could score when you least expect it, and those kind of guys are invaluable. All right, you aren't seeing Quinn Hughes in Vancouver yet. He'll be a Canuck regular next season, and if the draft lottery worked out, if the Canucks missed the playoffs and the draft lottery worked out, his brother Jack could be a Canuck as well. Think about it, Hughes brothers replacing Sedin brothers. That'd be good. But uh, Quinn and Jack will be together in B.C. this December and January, playing for the U.S. at the World Juniors in Vancouver and Victoria. And ticket sales are going great. Make it back-to-back gold medals. Canada brings it home in Vancouver. Thirteen years ago, Canada won gold in Vancouver, capping off a highly successful tournament on and off the ice. At the time, the Vancouver tournament smashed attendance and profit records and set the standard going forward. 
Today, it looks like a repeat performance for the organizing committee. We'd like to say we're going to make $15 million for hockey in Canada, and uh, we think we got a really good shot at that, and uh, that would be a, a dra dramatic improvement from the last one they had in Toronto and Montreal. Letang at the line. It doesn't hurt that local hockey fans can again check out some Canuck prospects. In 2006, it was Luke Bourdon and Corey Schneider. This time, it's Michael DiPietro, expected to be the starting goalie for Canada, and electrifying defenseman Quinn Hughes, who will be starring for the USA. The Americans will play their pool games out of Victoria, and ticket sales have reflected the interest in Hughes, who's expected to be a fixture with the Canucks as early as this spring practically sold out the building within the first month of when we started this so it's uh it's a great event it's going to be fun to watch and um, we're all looking forward to it tickets aren't sold out for the tournament yet but it's close single game seats including games featuring canada should be available in the next month we're pleasantly surprised how far along we are and um we're probably going to come up with singles probably uh early november and um by that time we expect to really only have like two or three thousand tickets per game. The tournament begins Boxing Day, but teams will be playing tune-up games throughout BC in the week leading up to the opener. Very delayed global sports. Seattle Seahawks get a chance to face their old friend Marshawn Lynch Sunday when they play one of those games in London, England. Lynch was a player that teammates loved in Seattle, but just the same, Bobby Wagner knows both the Seahawks and Lynch would like a piece of each other on Sunday. I expect him to talk a lot of trash. Um, when we were playing uh, with each other, he's always talking about he's going to run me over. But, uh, you know, we never got a chance to go against each other. So, um, you know, this would be his opportunity. So uh, I'm definitely going to try to catch him slipping a couple times. He think we're going to go low. I'm not going low. I'm going to go high on him. Maybe give him a forearm. It might be a flag, though. There you go. All right. Thank you, Squire. All right, you Just made me you think about me, my kid. 20s. Yes, this is what the first commercial is about. It's a long time About ago. saying goodbye to your 20s. Now, who's the commercial for? You'll find out at the end. Here we go. We are gathered here today to mourn the passing, to celebrate. To remember. And to say farewell to Louise's 20s. Farewell to luminous drinks and luminous skin. What? To drunken tattoos. The bank of mum and dad. to needless sambukas, to a bright flame that burned out too soon. Great times. And farewell to mistakes like Gareth and James. And who can forget Antonio? Ashes to ashes, Dust to dust. Louise begins her journey to the next life. 
From Jaeger bombs to bath bombs, from foam parties to memory foam, Louise has gone to a better place. Recognize any of those things from your twenties? A few. I recognize those flaming, flaming drinks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, very quickly at the start of the third segment, we'll have a, a commercial with a slightly adult theme, so you've been warned about that. I'll warn you one more time. But this one is from Snickers. Anybody can watch it. I am here for your heads. Who are you? I am the horseless headsman. I think you mean the headless horseman. No, I mean the horseless headsman. How is that even scary? Really? Look at my head. Ooh. Have a Snickers. Why? Because you get confused when you're hungry. Better? Better. <laughs> you're not you when you're hungry. Snickers is Halloween. I, I, like do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I like the horseless headman. I like the horseless headman. Okay, so the first commercial here is these are all for Mentos, or Mentos, as some say. I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, the first one has a bit of an adult theme, so you've been warned. And the next two include a commercial from India that is a talking chicken. I love the talking chicken. Happy fun time. You better come in, love. You'll get cold. Never felt like you wanted the floor to just open up and swallow you? Introducing Awkward Emanticon. A fresh way to express yourself. Brought to you by Mentos. Whoa! Pure fresh chewing gum. who doesn't like a chicken disciplining his chair? I know. And who, and did he say shut up? He said shut up. Yeah, he was. He was in chicken. <laughs> that's right. Well, no, he actually said shut up in English. Okay. I heard everything word of it. 